Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Today we will meet Colette, originally from California and now living in Virginia. Colette wrote to let me know that she enjoys the podcast and she also likes the inclusiveness of secular AA meetings. So uh, I asked her to join us and today she is my guest. Hello, Colette. Welcome to AA Beyond Belief. Thank you so much. Well, it's nice to have you and it's great to be spending a night talking with another person in recovery. As we were saying before we started recording, I think it'd be great if to hear your story and we will just let a conversation flow from that, if that sounds good for you. Sounds good. So I am Colette. I'm an alcoholic and my sobriety date, December 23rd, 2006. Oh, coming up on an anniversary. I am really one day at a time. Um, I say that just like today, things happen as things do. And I ended up dealing with life and um, missed my noon meeting. So this is this is my meeting for the day. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. But um, that's my meeting actually also. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so um. I think my first drink when I was 13 and um, my parents were divorced and they were one, one set was in Chicago and one set was in Baltimore and they both were big um, partiers. Um, one, uh, the Baltimore set, those parents were the um, martini drinking golf course, New York times kind of, you know, family. And then um, my dad was disco floor. He had a disco floor in his house. He um, ended up paying me um, one out of every 10 joints that I rolled for him. And, and I, and I got allowance in, in pot also. So um, when I was 13, you know, I, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to be a grown up. Um, most kids I think feel that way, but I really, as much disdain as I were to eventually have for them and coach to have for them in therapy at the time, it looked twinkly and delicious and exciting and fun. Um, and I, I knew what to do. I knew how to put the, you know, the lemon and the salt on my hand and I knew how to make a martini. Um, I couldn't wait and I didn't wait. So, um, I remember the first time I really really drank hard. I loved it. Had a party kind of by myself. My girlfriend was also in the seventh grade and um, she was boring and she hated it. And she kept telling me to shut up and go to sleep. And we never talked again. And I learned quickly that she wasn't my type of person. I'm sure she learned that I wasn't her type of person. And then it was just, you know, all bets were off. I don't know how I made it through high school. I think I missed 42 days of my senior year because I, why go to school when you can sit out in 32 degree weather and smoke hot and get drunk? I don't, I also, I ended up doing well in college. I don't know really how I did that other than I was just interested. Really, I was just, I was intellectually interested. And in college, part of my sometimes hesitant to bring regular AA meetings, but college, um, I started getting straight A's in college and um, writing a lot of poetry and um, became anorexic and was studying in England and had to leave, go back to the United States. And I admitted my, I admitted myself to the hospital and did a 30 day treatment program for anorexia and depression, went back twice. And they told me when I was there that I should probably consider AA. And I thought that was drinking was not my problem, parents' problem. And uh, I, it was the furthest thing from my mind. So I, I worked really, really hard in recovery. So I kind of knew what it was like there. Unfortunately, there, there, 
there were no steps. It was a lot of therapy. There weren't any steps and there there was no, it was just kind of me against the world. And my early 20s and I kind of moved on from that, thankfully, and then went straight to drinking and uh, never got a DUI, you know, drank and drove all the time. I wasn't really a daily drinker and I wasn't really a daytime or morning drinker because when I drank, I drank until I got sick and I would get so sick that it would take me about two days recover. So was your recovery from um, anorexia through therapy? Okay. And then after you kind of got, you kind of felt like you were comfortable with that, then you started into your drinking. Yeah. I mean, I drank prior to that too, for sure. I just, I was more of like a binge drinker. Gotcha. Yeah. And it was hard to differentiate by a party girl or a binge drinker. And what's the difference? I didn't have a problem with it. I had been off and on suicidal depressed through much of my life, but was being treated for that. So drinking to me was, and really became a solution. I, I didn't, I, I cared, but I couldn't admit to myself that I cared because if I did, then I might have to do something about it, which I wasn't willing to do. And, um, you know, going into my late 20s, early 30s, add cocaine, stay up later, a million jobs. I remember one time sharing in an AA meeting that I counted how many jobs I'd had. And I think it was like, I don't know, 52 or oh my something. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and the whole room, you know, it's bad when the whole room of AAP, everybody in the room went, <gasps> um, <laughs> so, but, you know, it's, it was a big learning curve for me as to what to share and what not to share. Cause I came into a sharing everything, but if I didn't like a job, if it interfered, I, I didn't get along with people. I loved, I had a lot of love in my heart, but I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't, I just, I've heard it said before, but I missed the rules. Uh, somehow, and in, you know, deference to people with, with, um, with autism. I mean, I, I thought for a while, I'm like, maybe I'm, I have autism because I don't, I don't get these. Um, so, um, continue to just, I mean, I, you know, get kicked out of apartments and, um, you know, and like I said, I mean, I had been pulled over for a DUI once and they let me go and just, I almost sometimes wish that I had been taken to jail. You know, like if somebody would have made me do it, I may have done it. But um, that didn't happen. So my path was that, and my daughter doesn't know this, but um, my path was that I was separated from my husband. We were drinking and doing drugs and um, I got pregnant and we got back together as a result and had my daughter. And nobody, I wonder, I always wondered why people didn't come to me and say, I think you have a drinking problem. You know, sometimes people did, but, you know, they kind of skirted around the issue. And and certainly if, if somebody said like, you know, intimated in any way that it was a problem, that that conversation was over. Yeah, yeah, that was me too. If it, if it ever came up, if anybody ever even suggested that it might be, I, I'd become angry it's, I and I would just deny it. And, and I believed, I believed myself. I believed. That's what denial is, right? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, I, I, the other day I was talking to somebody about my drinking. There's actually another person in the program. He happens to be a, a reporter and he's doing a story on people who drank alone. I didn't really drink alone, but I drank in bars and I felt like I was alone. I, but anyway, I was describing the whole alcoholic drinking and even to him, I couldn't make it. It didn't make sense. It was just so crazy. And one on one hand, 
I, I get angry when someone tells me I might be an alcoholic and yet I believe that I'm not. It's just crazy. It's just the whole thing was crazy and it doesn't make sense, but that's the nature of it, I guess. It is. And, you know, and speaking to drinking alone, I, I, I did drink alone. I mean, sometimes on lunch breaks, I would just go and, and, and drink and I drank, uh, I bar, I mean, I drank at bars too, but I drank fast. I drank, I drank with an intent and, um, always, you know, I tried all the things like adding water or a glass of water and that, that lasted for a sip of water. But, um, but yeah, so, so I, I was walking out once my daughter was about three I was walking in beautiful, sunny Southern California and I was getting my daughter out of the car and I was like blinded by the sun and I'm, you know, the baby's crying and I'm like saddled with a diaper bag and I'm just, my head's beating from a hangover. And uh, my neighbor pulled up and she said, how are you feeling? I said, I'm fine. Do you remember anything? I mean, yeah, I remember that, you know, you had a party. It was fun. Thank you so much. And meanwhile, I'm trying to piece things together because I, I had no idea what, what went down. And she and, and she said, no, do you have any idea how drunk you were? Yeah, I was I was pretty I was pretty drunk, admittedly. She said, no, you were hammered. And I said, oh, I mean, yeah, I guess you could say it was hammered. She said, do you have any idea what you did? And, I, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, no, I can't even I have no idea what I did. And she said, you spilled red wine all over my floor. You spilled candle wax all over my carpet. Um, you called my best friend a hooker. You hit on my brother's, uh, you hit on my brother in front of your husband. He goes, and you owe me an apology and you need to come over today and clean it all up. And um, I did. And the next day I looked in the yellow pages and I looked up AA and went to my first meeting. Wow. That's amazing that she made that effort like that, Isn't you know, it? that she confronted you like that. I think most people would have just said, I'm never going to talk to that person again and just left it, you know, but that she really made that effort to Mm -hmm. come over. Have you ever talked to her after that? Yeah, I think I made like an immense flash apology, you know, thank letter of gratitude. I don't know. I just remember like, you know what? You don't even know what you did that day. And um, she was a little standoffish. I mean, that's, that's, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really difference. Yeah. That's amazing though. I, I, that's a, it's a nice, it's a nice story. I mean, I, I can relate to it. It's just those, those things that you, you never really expect to make a difference in your life. And they did, you know, that, and that's what it was, I guess. So, so you made it to your first meeting. I did. I made it to my first meeting. I was impressed. I'm glad I was living where I was living. Everybody was driving nice cars and looked pretty. And had I gone into some of the meetings I've been to since then, <laughs> I might have lasted. You know? Yeah. And of course, everyone was happy and nice and smart and articulate and cool. And, and I did, I ended up picking up like three or four white chips. It took a lot of willpower. Um, I know that's kind of controversial um, as far as, you know, you can read in all the literature and a, that there is such a thing as, you know, proper use of the will. And I needed to white knuckle it because I grew up believing in nothing. And we, 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 we never went to church. I always wanted to go to church because everybody else did. You know, That's but. my background too. I actually knew nothing about religion. And by the time I was, um, oh, my 20s, no, early, late teens, early 20s, I really started feeling like almost embarrassed that I didn't understand like the basic religious references and literature. I didn't know. I knew nothing about it. So I had to, I ended up taking a class just to understand what it was about. I, I just didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know the difference between a Protestant and a and a Catholic. I didn't do nothing. 
Well, I think in a way, to me, that's like a little bit sad. I just, you know, I, I don't know. My, my dad was Jewish. My mom was Catholic. We, we all had Christmas trees. My, I didn't grow up knowing about anything. And so effectively was an atheist, you know? It took me a long time to figure out that I was an atheist. <laughs> I think, I don't know what I did. I just kind of pretended like, okay, whatever. I believe you believe. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I remember um, thinking, really thinking, I heard somebody say Jesus or Jesus Christ. And I remember, oh, they just said a cuss word. <laughs> I really was, because when my right. Christ, it meant like, you better like run and hide. So that, you know, I think it's, it's interesting, you know, in California, it wasn't as heavy handed um, as it is here in Virginia sometimes. Not that it's heavy handed here. Thank goodness that's all written into things. But that, that turned me off a little bit at the beginning. It really did, you know, hearing that if I didn't accept some, it's in steps. If I didn't accept something greater than myself, I was going to lose. I found it weird initially. I remember, I remember being uncomfortable and finding it strange initially and also i found it kind of in a way kind of mystical and you know kind of like that too but i think with me i just kind of set all the that aside and i and i dislike this about me but i ended up just conforming and going along until i didn't even know what i believed anymore i was mouthing the words as if i believed it this stuff i guess i think you kind of have to you know um it's uh um, what did they say about desperation i mean i was desperate enough to and i still kind of joke in my own head that i wish and i've been to a lot of churches seeking i'm a seeker i wish that this it would be so easy and wonderful and like just but, but i can't be disingenuous I, I i can't um but i am open to it because i also believe that I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. So you stuck with these meetings despite your misgivings about, or the the discomfort, I guess, about what you were hearing about the need, I guess, the need for a higher power and all that kind of stuff. I did. I, I found a lot of really awesome people. I sought them out. You know, I found a lot of people that said, you know, admit that you're not, that you're not it, that you are not that there is a power greater than yourself. Um, and, you know, the acronyms like a group of drunks, um, you know, th- that that kind of was enough for me to say, well, if I'm in a group of 50 people or one of 50 people, 49 of them collectively probably know more than I do. Right. So in that way, I felt like I could turn it over to that, you know, kind of amorphous entity, you know? Yeah. Without having to define it. Now, since then, I have really tried to define it, but uh, more and more, I feel comfortable with not knowing or not defining it. Me too. I've actually, I've actually given up on the whole, well, this is what I decided. I decided, well, you know what? I don't even talk like that higher power. I don't have a higher power. <laughs> I just, I decided I'm going to talk like a regular human being. And it's the people, it's, it's you people that are, have helped me out. You know, I, it's other people that help me out. I don't have a higher power. I don't need a higher power. I don't want a higher power. I just don't even use that language anymore. But, you know, it took me a while to get there. At first it was like, oh, my higher power is this, or my higher power is that. Now it's like, I, that's not my language. I don't even, I choose not to even define it that way yeah i don't i don't know i mean i think that that you know in the same way that um that we use our you know pronouns he and he and they and i i'm not i don't feel the need to rewrite everything to make a statement so if somebody's saying god i can say i i usually say god just because it's 
that's what it's called. Or, you know, my daughter is 15 and she's very um, into like trans and like they and, you know, and and I and that's that's fine. But I, I don't feel like I need to be bogged down in the pro in in the pronouns. You know, um, I also feel like um, that God or whatever whatever you're comfortable calling it or we have to call it something other otherwise we can't talk about it right 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 true 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 yeah yeah god um the belief in god you're right yeah i guess you're yeah yeah so um but um i feel like it's in it lives in in other words i don't have to search and seek and it's something that exists in me and i'm not my um sponsor she lives in california and she uh he often tells me when i pray to say instead of please keep me sober to say thank you um because i don't have to i'm not in the position to beg anymore you know and that's that that provides kind of a, a, a some strength that i never imagined having yeah, I kind of evolved in that way too. Part of my story is for a long time I would I, I did the I did the praying because out of rote, I guess, because it was what they told me to do. So I so I did it. And then after realizing that I was an atheist and I kinda I stopped the praying, but I kind of um moved towards like more like affirmations. And I started thinking about things like, you know, even when it comes to like the serenity prayer, which I really love, like you said it wasn't really anything I had to ask for. I kind of decided that I already have it. It's just a matter of tapping into it. It's a matter of kind of making myself aware that I need it and I need I need to tap into it. Mm-hmm. And I still yeah. say I still say the prayer. I say it just as it's written, but I say it because it, it's something I've known for a long time and it kind of centers me and brings me to focus, I guess. Yeah, like a mantra. Yeah, it is like a mantra. Yeah. Um, what is the, uh, I, I really like the prayer of St. Francis. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a good one too. <laughs> I mean, you can't argue with one. What it says right <laughs> um, for it basically stop thinking about me so i can be of service to someone else yeah yeah there's actually i i agree i it's uh it's good it's got some good stuff in there you know, to me i i spent years and i and i again i am thankful that i was in the therapy i was in i was in three therapy sessions a week my eating disorder and and I talked about myself ad infinitum. I mean i talked about me 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 my childhood my family my friend my ugh. and it it is such a departure i think looking at things in that way that doesn't mean that i'm not self-absorbed i mean part of my problem today revolved around this is super uh what do you call it first world problems i was convinced that my cleaning lady was going to quit <laughs> <laughs> and i was so nervous and worried that she didn't like me anymore oh. <laughs> and, and so i i still get on that wheel let's let me think about me for just way too long and it's it's you know it's really uncomfortable i don't like it i don't want to live like that and i do believe that that kind of thinking is the kind of thinking that kept me drinking and could lead me back to drinking if i don't if i am not aware of it and uh it gets too bad i need to reach out you know so what was it like when you moved from california to virginia was it a difficult adjustment i had three months sobriety when we moved oh my goodness Okay. Wow. So it's been a while. You've been in Virginia for a long time then. Yeah. And there was, um, there was, uh, some divine intervention. Um, and I do believe in that as well. Again, I don't believe I could begin to define it, but I do believe there's, you know, listening to like the police, like there's a synchronicity or something that, that exists if, 
ill and open to it. If I don't think that I know, then um, I, I believe that there's there are things out, trees and birds and just in the sea. But I had three months and um, we were living at my mother-in-law's house and she had been in and out of the program too for years. And I put my daughter, well, three months old about and put my daughter in, in her uh, car seat carry her outside, put her in the car. I decided that it would be, a wasn't even a decision. It was just an impulse. I reached under the cabinet and I grabbed the bourbon and I was going to pour it in a sip cup, drive from, from Baltimore to Richmond, um, sipping on some bourbon with a baby in the backseat. And she, my mother-in-law walked in at that minute and went, what are you doing? And, and she has like, she had a New Yorker accent too. She was really intimidating. And, um, and I said, nothing, I was just away. So I didn't drive drunk car. I mean, I didn't know why I'll, I just, I just thought it would, I just decided to grab the bourbon and I didn't and I sober for another day. So getting here, it, I was, uh, and this is, you know, AA refers to willing to go to any lengths. I was willing to go to any length. So I called AA when I got here. I had some people up and take me to meetings. Um, I met people right away. Um, I met other moms with me. And what was really cool is um, I met like a group of five women and they all had kids the same. And so we ended up, we would go to meet and then go to a park afterwards and our kids would play or the babies would play. And we would sit around and they had like 20 years of sobriety at the time. So kind of guided me. That's nice. Yeah. Really lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel that way too. I kind of, um, when I was new, I ended up in this group where there were a lot of, I was fairly, I was young. I was in my twenties and other, other guys in their twenties getting sober at the same time. And it was just kind of fortunate for me because we kind of hung out after the meetings and I didn't realize it at the time, obviously, but it meant a lot to me at the time, but I didn't realize what good it was doing for me mentally and emotionally and with my growth and everything. But looking back on it, it was that as like when you were visiting with the women at the park, you know, I think that that is, is probably was probably so helpful for you probably more so than maybe even what was happening in the meetings. I mean, that's my experience. Yeah, well, they were, um, none of them judged me. None of them were affiliated with any other religion. You know, one was talking about like, Wiccan stuff and the other would talk about you know laughing about they were really I mean they're still my friends but our kids kind of have grown up a bit and went in different directions so I don't see them as much but they were really cool I mean they were they were like a, a very evolved AA people that's great yeah that is lucky it's fortunate yeah very fortunate and I miss that you know I don't really have that now I really have a lot of AA friends now and I don't know why I just part of it is that I have my own life now and um I always want to kind of keep one foot in the program but I also um I I I do stuff you know I have I have friends and um I I it's funny because I I get kind of excited when I meet a new friend in the program like oh good I got a new friend and and then something happens <laughs> so do you have secular AA meetings in your area or did you did you kind of discover them after COVID when everybody went online. No, before um, COVID, my therapist about three years ago was like, you need to go to secular meeting. Like you need, and the Buddhist one. Uh, Refuge Recovery or? um... I loved it. Yeah. I like that book. I guess it's called Dharma Recovery now, but um, yeah, I like it a lot. I loved it. Prior to COVID, it was um, in a um, Quaker church and I had been to the meeting house 
testing it out anyway. I would be Quaker, honestly, um, but my family would have no part. Brown <laughs> yeah. and quiet for an hour. <laughs> but it's really cool and peaceful. It's just amazing. So the, the meeting was in there and it's beautiful inside. It's tiny little, um, you know, white kind of house with just red velvet pews and rickety old floors and giant windows and super peaceful. Um, and the first part of the meeting, like somebody would read something and we would meditate on it. And then for the second part of the meeting, we would um, have like an open discussion. I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't really, there's not too much here um, that I, I don't know. I, I don't really feel like a huge pull, like with, with that, with that group, I would go to that group again, but that disbanded pretty quickly when COVID started. Yeah. How, how has this, how's COVID impacted you? Um, at first I did, I didn't know what was going on. Like, well, no one did maybe more so now, but I did a lot of online meetings and I liked it. I, I stopped liking it. I liked it a lot because I got to hear, I think in Virginia, this is again, a, a you know, kind of unpainting this with a broad brush, but the meetings tend to be bless your little heart and people don't share very openly very often. And some of the online meetings were like the meetings in Southern California, people were really open. I mean, they were awesome, but it just, I got to experience some of that and I really liked it. And then the meetings here started opening back up and I started going back to them. And I noticed that when I was on online meetings, I would start looking at my phone, you know, and start, you know, looking at Facebook or just, just you know very add right right it's really easy because there's no right right you know nobody holding me accountable yeah (laughs) i don't have anything against meeting online the zoom meetings and everything like that i like it they're nice it's good to see my friends but i don't i don't go to the zoom meetings now because quite honestly because i'm working from home i'm working on my computer all damn day and at the end of the day it's like i don't want to be on another zoom meeting i don't want just i have had enough of it you know and i just so what happens is at the end of the day i turn my computer off and i go in the other room and i just kind of i have to get away from it i don't want to log back on again and go to another online meeting besides i this kind of keeps me busy anyway I've, i've the the podcast and i do Angela and I do a live stream on Fridays and that, that kind of keeps me kind of plugged in. Yeah, it is fun. That that sounds fun. Yeah, we do it. We, what we do every Friday at seven o'clock central, we um, do a live stream and we stream it on YouTube and Facebook. Uh And so people can go and they can make comments. Actually, we have a phone number. People can call in too. (laughs) And so we always have a different topic every week and we just, we do that. So it's, it's, it's kind of like a meeting party. It's kind of fun. It's fun. (laughs) Yeah. See, I love, I love stuff like, you know, it's, it's, um, my, I, my life has changed so much. I'm talking to you right now. I'm in my pajamas. Um, you know, it's seven 39 here and I, 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 seven and eight o'clock at night, even on a Friday night, I'm so lame now. I know, I know, you know, but I like it. I like lame. Like I just, no, I like I'm the same way. It's like, um, I, uh, I, I, I get like, I, my energy starts going down, 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 down during the day. And by six or seven o'clock at night, I'm pretty much done, you know, but doing something like this and the live stream kind of perks me up, you know, kind of like, Oh, I like, <laughs> you know, but otherwise I call it, 
a night pretty early. <laughs> yeah, I do too. So tell me about, and I, we can kind of wind up, I guess, about how you approach your recovery today. Are, is it more experiential or do you, do you like the steps, do the steps, feel those are important? I like the steps, do the steps. I think they're important. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't sit there and like stare at them. Right, every, right, right, right. But I believe that, that, you know, maybe not deliberately, but I, I, I try to practice them, but I, I don't even think I could after years of being in meetings, I don't even think I could tell you what they are from one to 12. Like, yeah, you know, and I've, I'm kind of like actually that way now I've incorporated steps in my life for me, for most of my life now. And so for me, it's like, it's kind of like a framework that there, it's how I do business now. And it, they just kind of happen to me. And it's not, it's not like, um, like you say, I'm not reading them, studying them, whatever, you know, get deliberately doing them like that now. But I did in the past when I was going to those to my first initial group and we, and we did that. So I, I, I agree with, you. I think they're good. I mean, think, I think they're good. I think, I think it really is helpful to have some sort of a framework, uh, some sort of a process to follow. That's what I referred to at the beginning, you know, saying like, I didn't, I came out without a book of rules. Like I just, I don't know how I missed like everything. I don't know how I missed it. And this, this provides me with that framework. And, um, you know, and, and I think for me keeping, you know, going to meetings, I probably go to like four meetings a week and I, I pray in the morning. I try to meditate, you know, some of it's from, some of it's from that rebellion dogs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Love that book. And then I also read something from this Buddhist monk from the mid uh, 20th century that I really like. And then I'll read like a like something from the you know the AA meditations or whatever just to kind of ground me I mean I still my wheels fall off at any part of the day but um at least with that I have you know a chance to to start because I I think you know for me alcohol is a symptom of my disease the disease is still there so I need to treat it so how things going today good you know I'm a mom of a teenager that's really weird and I mean really weird and it's good. I, you know, I, I'm on the other thing that's not talked about very much in the meetings is I, um, depression's a big part of my story and, um, and I'm still medicated for that. I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't. Yeah, me too. I, I'm the very same way. I still take uh, antidepressants and have for a long time now. And I'm glad that I do. Um, I mean, they help me. What can I say? You know, so, um, yeah, I was sober and, um, pulled into a meeting and was in the parking lot and was crying so hard and so deeply for no reason that, um, I was going to kill myself. And, you know, I, I told a, a close friend, I'm like, I'm sitting here in the car. I want to kill myself. I have a four-year-old and I want to kill myself in the church parking lot. Like, that is not normal. Anybody, and I've heard people in meetings um, dissuade someone from, I mean, personally, they people were telling me not to take antidepressants or even to seek help for depression, that it was all part of alcoholism or whatever. It wasn't. It was a different thing. And people don't understand just how debilitating it can be. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it is. When I was free of that, it was like a tremendous weight lifted off my shoulders so that I could actually do something else, you know? So it was, I understand completely. I think that that's critical to take care of that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know uh, of one girl, you know, in particular that um, they told her that he was, it is, we're not, no, I know, I know that's the last things anyone should ever do. And I, and it, it kills me that people still do that. My me therapist too. told me, my doctor told me that she hears that from her patients, that people in AA meetings 
yeah. or telling or telling her not to go, telling them not to go to meeting, not to go to therapy or take see a doctor or take medication. That's crazy. I just can't believe that still happens, but unfortunately. Well, people in AA will tell you that depression is not real, and that's like telling them that alcoholism is. I know real. it's it's crazy to me. It's it's crazy to me because alcoholism is kind of centers in the brain too. You know? <laughs> So come on, give me a break. But that that was a really hard, you know, I, I heard a lot in AA, you know, during that time, you know, if you only um, did the steps better. I you- know, I know, I know. And I hear people, that's, that's, that's one bad, that's one thing about the steps that people need to be careful about. Either that someone else is putting pressure on you to, to do them just the right way or you yourself. And this is what I, I, it makes me, just breaks my heart to see someone beat themselves up because they think they're depressed because they're not doing some step right. Yeah, I was doing that. I was yeah. like, I, know, I was thinking to I myself, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I, I, but I was kind of encouraged to think it. I was thinking I must not, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm praying, right? I'm pretty sure that I'm reading the literature. I'm pretty sure that I, I did something called back to basics. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've heard yeah. That. that was great. Actually, it was great because it was four weeks. Uh huh. I was, it was done. It's kind of like boot camp, boot camp for a boot camp. (laughs) Well, I needed it. I, I didn't, I couldn't afford to sit around and think about, I don't, I don't know, but, but yeah, that, that whole, uh, I know some people that have, um, that have died as a result of that kind of judgment and, and misguidance and, um, and just, you know, it's bad. Um, and, you know, but I feel like I have that experience, strength and hope so that if, if I ever hear anybody talking about that, like I always want to be the first one to reach out and help because um, I get it. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. It was nice to talk with you. I really enjoyed this and I think you're doing great. And it's, uh, I really relate well to your story. And I know that other people that will be listening to this will as well. Thank, um, you. thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much. And that's it. That's another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to help support our podcast and website, you can do that by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash Belief, or even becoming a member of our YouTube channel. And uh, if you can't do any of that, that's okay, too. Uh, we'll be back again real soon for another episode. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you, Thank Colette. you. That, that was, was awesome. Fun. Thank you so much.